So perhaps um, whatever I uh, speak about the most will become the theme. <laughs> and good luck, Christopher. <coughs> um, uh, uh, recently, on a uh, uh, video, I, which I, I saw um, a film which my daughter had strongly encouraged me to watch it because she said, Dad, it's, it's your kind of film. So uh, Nina and I, we got this film out at uh, home and it was called um, The Matrix. <laughs> and apparently we're all living in the matrix and we haven't got a mind of our own and it's dominated or controlled or whatever. So then Mr. Kevin Costner or somebody, I can't remember, one of these chaps who lives down the road, um, comes in and has all these fights with these various uh, people and initially he's immortal and then uh, by the uh, end he becomes immortal and the bullets are firing at him from all sides down some filthy corridor and he's putting his arms out and the bullets are all stopping and we all live happily ever after. So in this, one of the more instantly forgettable Hollywood productions, <laughs> that there is at least one small memorable one-liner in it, and it was, free your mind. This is, I can't remember anything else from this entire film, but this particular sentence, free your mind. So I think we'll make that the title for the talk. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Kevin. What's your name? What's his name? Kino Reeves. Kino Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> and he also played the Buddha in, a, in another uh, uh, m movie. Gosh, it's a hard life, isn't it? <laughs> so, anyway, we won't, won't talk about uh, Hollywood. Sometimes, taking a look at our life for a moment, there's our life manifesting and unfolding itself day by day, hour by hour, experience by experience, moment by moment. So what is existence? Existence is a changing field of experiences. We're all participating in a range of experiences. Sometimes, of course, they seem similar to each other, some dissimilar, and so there is our life going on and all that's going on inwardly and outwardly and we've got one extraordinary undertaking and that is to investigate into it, to look into it, to really see what is going on uh, with life and of course and particularly uh, with ourselves. Sometimes teachings, practices can I think be rather understandably misunderstood, misunderstood in the wish and the desire in life to have everything go right, be right, and sustain it 
according to our own personal wishes. And we can therefore carry in our imagination uh, a wish to try to get everything worked out and sorted out in our life so that it flows for us with some kind of harmonious continuum. And therefore, we keep thinking in life, if I can do this on the outside, whatever it might be, and then if I can do this work on the inside and put the combination together of getting it right on the outside, my so-called external circumstances, work on the inside and get my internal circumstances right, and then hopefully out of the combination of on the outer and on the inner, one's life will fuse together happily, sweetly, and forever after, just like at the end of a Hollywood movie. <laughs> There's no evidence that anybody has succeeded. <laughs> it's one of the more wacky views of human existence. And yet we carry this forlorn hope that we can have this perfect unity, perfect harmony, to various levels and degrees, inwardly and, and outwardly. And when we find ourselves, therefore, in a consistent activity of trying to unify the inner with the outer and the outer with the inner, and to get it to work together so that it harmonizes and integrates together well. And if you think of the various primary actions that you have engaged in in your life, I have engaged in in my life, fair bit of it, it will be having as this as some kind of end sooner or later, and obviously and preferably sooner. <laughs> and it seems such a driving force uh, in, in uh, uh, side of us, and yet the very activity of life, the very dynamic of it, seems to keep invading, keep intruding, and show us again and again what an impossible undertaking it is to have this kind of harmonious unity with existence at every single level. It just, life just does, simply does not work like that. But it's a hard myth to pierce, to puncture, to look at in a very direct and very straightforward way. Sometimes that shows and manifests its, it, itself in the sheer contrast and in various ways we uh, experience that. We can go out into the nature, we're in the nature, it's, it, it's, it's wondrously uh, beautiful, the, mor the morning mist, the greenness of the trees, the, the, the wonder of the, the valley, the uh, beautifully designed uh, buildings here to fit in and integrate with the situation. We can take walks along the, the pathways and our eyes can be open and we can feel and sense the, the unity, not only the unity that's revealing itself outside of ourselves, but feel ourselves with the unity of life, and it's a, a sweet and beautiful, precious thing. We can feel at times the unity that takes place here in the meditation hall, in the silence and in the stillness, in our own um, meditation. And there's the sense of genuine 
well-being with ourselves in the moment and with all that is around us. And therefore there's a silence, a certain uh, harmony and a unitive feeling. But it ain't going to last. Whether it's outdoors in the loveliness of this environment, whether it's uh, indoors, it will uh, change. And in that changing which takes place, sometimes it's not only the unitive experience taking place for us, but sometimes what contributes to making the changes harder is when we cling to these kind of experiences. When we feel a lovely sense of unity, a lovely sense in the nature or, or in ourselves, and we hold to it, we think we can retain it and maintain it in some way or other, and then when something comes along which jars us, which, which shakes us up, then we're faced with the contrast of that unitive time in that retreat or in the nature or, or in a loving communication with another person, and then something else comes along and it impacts on us. And then we think, my goodness, how can I now find unity in that, harmony in that? And so our life then gets pushed and pulled along trying to find this perfect peace and, and harmony with existence. We only have to look outside at ourselves, at the forces of nature, look at the terrible fires that you've been experiencing in this state and surrounding states. Look at the, the, the storms and the hurricanes. Look at the famines and the earthquakes. Look at all the events, that the volcanoes and all the other events that go on in this earth. This, this earth is an intense and dynamic place to, to be in. We're not in control. We're not in charge of things. And so sometimes we're, we're looking and we're looking at Dharma life and practices in a way which has I would say, far too much idealism in it. And therefore, it may be quite necessary and very important for us to actually take a fresh way and start looking in a, in a somewhat different way from this uh, model of, of harmony, and harmony meaning quietitude and contentment in the mind in the face of different situations. Sometimes one can look to the old, old texts and uh, uh, scriptures, uh, e east, east and West, and investigate and look into those and see what, what, what those areas have to re reveal to us. Just uh, last month uh, in the uh, Sinai Desert, and there, if you think it's a, a, a hot day today here, just go in July. Uh, deep down into the into the Sinai, and uh, Nina and I, we, and in one day we went through uh, 11 liters of water, and and we didn't sweat. Just the the, the heat, 110, 120, 125 degrees. It was hot. It hasn't rained there since October 1997. It is a hot place, extraordinarily beautiful place, and. One evening, some of you may know this, the, the, Mo, the mountain where Moses was said to have received the Ten Commandments. So we, four o'clock in the afternoon, uh, we made the, the three-hour walk and stepped up on top of the mountain and 
breathtakingly, awesomely beautiful. And there's a lovely passage in the, in the, in the Bible there, and it says in there that God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. In a burning bush. Not in a lovely sunset. <laughs> Not in the sweetness of Marin County. But in the top of a mountain in the burning hot Sinai desert, probably July, uh, <laughs> the bush was burning and God appeared in the burning bush. I should add very quickly that this bush has nothing whatsoever to do with your presidential candidate, <laughs> George W. Bush. God may have appeared in a burning bush in the Sinai Desert, but believe me, God will not go so far as to appear in, in George W. Bush. <laughs> God is not an extremist. <laughs> Apologies to the Republicans in here. So sometimes, in the way of living and in the experience of uh, things, we kind of want to find the truth of things. We want to find uh, true reality, to know liberation, to find and, and be with God. And we tend all too easily, in all of this movement of our life, inwardly and outwardly, that we have, as I said earlier, a kind of view of how that might be, or how we might find that in some way or other. And perhaps we need to really radicalize and, and start looking afresh, looking all over again to what that might mean. And therefore, not being shy and not being uh, um, uh, afraid to really look at the difficult and say, can the difficult be and still discover? Perhaps Moses in his uh, realization on the top of that mountain and in seeing God in the burning, burning bush, perhaps realized actually metaphoric, metaphorically in, in that, that sometimes in the heat of things, we want to be away from the heat of things. We imagine it's what really matters is somewhere else. And we're saying in the Dharma, in the practice, perhaps God is found in the burning bush in the heat of things, in the real heat of things. And it's an enormous challenge for any hu human being to actually start turning the conscious around in a different kind of way and not keep prioritizing the pleasant and prioritize something else about inquiry and looking at things and not making the pleasant the priority. Very hard thing to do because we are pulled towards the comfortable, we are pulled towards what is, uh, 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 what is easier, and the mind keeps imagining easier is better. It isn't. Truth is better. Awareness is better. Courage is better. Investigation is better. Facing existence is better. And, and that middle ground of that is a challenge to all of us. The, the power of imagination is extraordinary in, in uh, th this, this regard. And I, I know how uncomfortable that can, can be. Not uh, here and, uh, 
every, everywhere else when people arrive on the retreat. And quite often, the first thought that arises, oh, I need a single room. Nobody needs a single room. <laughs> but the thought, oh, I had a single room for the last 37 retreats there, uh, there. I'm used to a single uh, room. More reason not to have one, etc. Well, I remember with uh, Ajahn Chah, one of Jack, Jack Cornfield's uh, teachers in, in, the, in, the mon- in the monastery there, the monks would go away from the hut uh, there. They, they had a single room, that's because nobody could live with a monk, and <laughs> would, go, would go away. And then they would come back and expect that their hut, get back to the same hut. Mm, Ajahn Chah would say, went away, come back, here's another one. There. Now I don't like that one, it's too near the other hut, too bad, that's what you get. And sometimes we, in, in Dharma teachings, in centers and teachers as well, we're often trying to be too nice, in the culture of being too nice and too accommodating. And sometimes what we keep finding is that we keep fitting in with what? With the whims of the mind. It's an extraordinary thing to have enough vigilance inside of ourselves that when the whim of the mind for something arises, we see it arise, but not a word comes out of the mouth. Nothing is said for the whim of the mind. Sometimes, in quite a bit of adjustment for those of you who are here for the first few days and coming into a retreat and sitting down here and then finding quite quickly that as the new people arrive, it takes some adjustment. And then, of course, uh, cushions get moved around and mats get moved around, hither and thither, and people are sending their mats like like, um, gambling in a casino, rolling the dice, The, 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 the Zafus are moving around so much. And then people come into a situation like that as though everyone had special ownership of their spot or their place. You know, five or ten years of this at Spirit Rock, people will be needing visas to cross over the hall (laughs) because there'd be so much territorialism there. the mindset, how, what I want, what I need, the whim of the mind. But that whim of the mind which operates and catches us so very, very quickly and, and easily is the self in its arising in the moment there, and in its arising in the moment, of course, and in its expression easily goes to someone else. And then someone else has to do something about our various whims of our mind. And it's no easy task to see. There is so much which people have to do already. Each time you and I throw out a fresh sentence, a fresh request, a fresh need, or whatever, it lands in some other poor devil's mind. 
then they have to deal, deal with it. And then this person has got a, a long list. I, I'm going to add very quickly, Lizzie did not ask me to give this talk. <laughs> this is a totally unrequested. <laughs> so please do not go up to her tomorrow and say, what did you say to him yesterday? <laughs> so we're talking about here and elsewhere in day life, this movement which takes place, they gradually pile up. In the piling up, one person can take so much and then it will get displaced and moved on to somewhere else. And this is no easy act of clarity and kindness to say to ourselves, can I just drop this? Can I have just enough inner freedom to free my mind from this that I'll just watch and be vigilant before feeling and perception become thought, become speech. What a service we would provide for the rest of existence. Never mind meditation and sitting cross-legged morning, noon and night. Just enough awareness in life, and it's not an easy undertaking, to be vigilant with regard to the contact of a perception and a feeling which moves, comes together and produces a thought about, which then comes together which produces some verbalization. If we catch itself earlier enough, we'll hopefully be able to identify it and say, well, this is just another of my whims, just another of this mindless mantra which says, I need, and deep down we know we don't. We've just got into a habit of imagining this. We've got, there are needs, of course, and there are situations of genuine needs in the retreat and outside of the retreat, and they must be clearly acknowledged and identified, but a lot of it isn't anything like that. It's just a pattern, and the pattern in its verbalizing lands on other people, and it's landing on other people, and other people have to do it, and it lands further and further. And so the tradition has wisely and beautifully and insightfully kept reminding us of the great value in life of what noble silence is. And that noble uh, silence is having the quiet power and the authority within ourselves to notice the movement and to know when it really matters and to know that many times and might be nine out of ten it doesn't matter shut up be still be aware and just see huh, old mindset old mindset and part of the reason for the importance of this is the, that old mindset with I, I running through it can never get satisfied. And sometimes in life we notice the movement going on, we get a little satisfaction in some way or other, but very quickly, within a minute, within an hour, within a day, it will come back in some other way, in some other form. And what keeps happening, of course, we keep looking at the life around, 
and we keep seeing either what I want or what I don't like. And the mind can specialize in this way of living. What I want, what I don't like, what could be better, what should be done. And it's an endless production. And can we just catch ourselves? Can we just just have enough clarity over the time and the days here to pick up on that movement, to acknowledge it as a movement, and therefore the movement which is constantly wanting to modify. How on earth are we going to get to the true nature of things if we don't allow our life to really look at the nature of things and, and spend a little bit less time looking how we want to improve the nature of things and get to the nature of things in its essentialness. That's going to mean sacrifice. It's going to mean, as it were, uh, pruning the inner tree. It's going to mean cutting back. It's going to mean stopping. It's going to mean not looking for. And that may take some, some toughness with ourselves to be able to do that. But if we're willing to, to do that, we m may get a benefit far greater than what the whim wanted. Much greater. One will say one will receive a much greater benefit. Sometimes, in the uh, way and the process of meditation and uh, the exploration uh, that goes, goes along with it. During this morning, the, the meditation instructions were given. <coughs> and the uh, meditation uh, instructions that were given have a variety of purposes. The essential two purposes which are given, one is for calmness and the other is for insight. One is for calmness and the other is for insight. And all the instructions that are given during uh, each day here help to give support to that. Quite often, particularly with the mindfulness of breathing meditation, we could give a lot of emphasis, as we, as we do, to the calmness, but sometimes the aspect of the insight, feature of it, may be lacking. To give an example. In the instructions, there's direct encouragement to give care and attention to the mindfulness of breathing, to experience the breath. If with the quality of the attention, there's a reasonable degree of relaxation there, reasonable degree of calmness. The general sense is, with the breath, that the breath is coming to us, so to speak, and going from. We're being silent, we're being still, relatively, and we're just inhaling and exhaling, and we're just in touch with that. 
that's a, this is the insight aspect of this. That is a practice and a training in life, in various situations, of learning to be steady and just to acknowledge what is coming and going and doing absolutely nothing about it. All right? Situations and experiences in our life where circumstances come to us in life, circumstances go from us uh, in life, and it's our challenge to be really steady with it. There's nothing we can do about it, nothing we can change, nothing we can modify, all the thinking in the world isn't going to make a scrap of difference. This is what's happening. All that we can do is to be with it and give it a totally calm, clear, steadfast presence. And the mindfulness of breathing as just pure mindfulness of breathing out is important for that. Sometimes we have to be active. Active may, in this case, in giving care and attention to the breath, intentionally make the breath a little bit longer and deeper. Intentionally, quietly work with the breath. We actually bring something from our inner life to bear on the breathing as a way to help stay in touch with it. Stronger intention, stronger resolution, a real commitment to being with it. Sometimes, for insight and clarity purposes, as people recognize, we're with the breath, but we're noticing that lots of control is going on. We're noticing the mind wanting to have the breath in a particular way. We're noticing the mind putting pressure on, on the breath, breath, so there's a kind of regulation of it uh, which is going on. We might notice the mind feeling one's never doing it right. One could be doing it better. So the breath is just a bare event is taking place, but the set of mind, the state of mind is coming in, and it is placing all sorts of perceptions, views, demands, expectations of wanting to do it, do, it, do it right, or never feeling one's doing it right, or whatever. The breath could be telling us a great deal about the way we live. Sometimes in the sitting meditation we come in to sit and some people, d d despite these, this super new age equipment that you use for the sitting posture uh, here, can spend enormous amount of the sitting searching for the perfect posture. And one tries a little bit this way, a little bit that way, etc. And then one, one's eye, then the consumer mind arises after five or ten minutes and looks around the room and says, Ooh. <laughs> if, I if I took it, would they miss it? <laughs> or I'd have to ask them which um, um, consumer magazine they ordered it from at the end of the retreat. I'm sure they're having super jarnic, blissful, transcendental, <laughs> ultimate, godlike experiences this afternoon or whatever. And so all of this can be going on. 
and then and then that's five minutes before the bell rings to announce the end of the retreat or whatever. <laughs> so sometimes, in our looking, just in a sitting period, are we one of those who, by tendency, is very slow to get something really underway? Are we one of those people who are constantly procrastinating and putting off and fidgeting, etc., etc.? All kind of signals, in a way, of some avoidance which is going on around this case, being with what is and being in touch with one's existence. And therefore, we can find ourselves now looking for our perfect posture as a kind of going around and around something rather than sitting in the burning bush. Sometimes, for uh, others, may get underway very, very well, but then come towards end of sitting time and sit sitting uh, period, the whole relationship to endings is very sloppy. And you can come to the last five, ten, fifteen minutes, and then the mind starts going in all the ways that it does, praying for the end of sittings, <laughs> digging out of oneself mantras that one never even heard of before one, <laughs> etc. Uh, et all sorts of avoidances go going on in terms of dealing with endings. It may just be that the conditioning, the pattern of the, of the life and the sitting period or the walking period is actually insightful in telling us a lot about tendencies. We have a chance several times every day in our sitting, walking and standing to really take a real look. What is it that we can appreciate? What is it that we can genuinely be aware of and acknowledge and recognize is one thing. And to see where some of our natural freedoms are with with life, where, at, where we are clear about things, and truly to acknowledge as well, what are the tendencies which have a real impact on our life which need attending to? Therefore, we are sincerely interested in calmness, and we are sincerely interested in insight. And some of the most important insights in life are the insights, that means seeing clearly, of tendencies which we know are unsatisfactory. Some of the important insights in life are bringing greater awareness to the tendencies which we know are unsatisfactory. And the probability is, to some level or degree or other, in a single day, it's a pretty fair bet that at least one of them will arise. One of them will show somewhere, sometime. And in the moment, in the experience of, in the appearance of, and that doesn't mean to say it's going to be in the whole, it could be any time, any, anywhere, what would it mean in the arising of that tendency 
to really bring the fullness of attention to it. To really notice its impact on our existence and inevitably on the existence of others. And if we were just to take in the brief period of time here a real interest in just one, not getting ambitious, just one there, and to take some of the power out of that, we will be providing for ourselves an enormous human service and correspondingly making the lives of other people much easier likewise. Because tendencies go from the inner to the outer and they land in the minds of others. Sometimes we think, or the old mind might come in and say, well, I need to think how I got it, where it came from, why I'm like this, why I got the parents I got, etc., etc. In Dharma teachings, we don't have to do that. Please, please remember all of you wonderful West Coast psychotherapists, in Dharma teachings, we do not have to go to the past. Other teachings, practices, etc., wonderful, marvelous, brilliant. Not here, though. <laughs> here, we need every drop of energy we've got to actually look at what is. Uh, uh, the Buddha, because sometimes people don't believe me, so I bring in the authority to <laughs> try and cajole you into accepting this. The Buddha said, most of you will have, 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 have heard you, I know you don't believe the Buddha, but at least most of you have heard this story. And uh, analogy that he uses. He said, it is like somebody who has been shot with a bow and arrow and it's in the body. You've got an arrow. It's causing pain. You don't stand there or sit there saying, who fired the arrow? How did it get here? <laughs> Why am I experiencing this pain? Was it my mother and father who fired it? <laughs> what was the wood made of? How did it travel from there to here? No, 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 no. One's got one interest. Have it out. It's the only interest that one's got. And that approach in Dharma teachings is such, I'm not saying it's suitable for everybody, only 99%. <laughs> that such priority is given that the first noble truth called suffering, the second noble truth called the causes of suffering, the third noble truth called liberation, the fourth noble truth called the way to liberation is all about the here and now. The priority is on the here and now, the passion for it, 
is on the here and now. The power for it is with the here and now. The resolution of the anguishes of life is, is here and now. The arrow is here and now and the arrow can come out here and now. Sometimes a little natural reflection may, of course, from past to present, give some support. But sometimes, for some people, that can be extremely draining. So much attention is going to the past when one needs every drop of energy and determination to really look at and to take the power out from the present situation. Dharma teachings remind us of that again and again with a, with a, with a certain uh, consistency, we might say. Therefore, in looking uh, uh, in, into that, two important things here again. Sometimes in the day, in the experience of the day, we may look and we may say, whether it's your first day on a retreat in your entire life, or you've done many re retreats, it doesn't matter here, we may say on a particular day or a particular time, right now, here and now, in my experience, I am not noticing any particular obstructive, difficult tendencies. We can be clear with that with ourselves at times, we can be completely honest with ourselves at that time, there doesn't have to be any conceit or any arrogance there. We're just clear with the fact. Right now, I'm not making, putting pressure, uh, demands on myself and others. I'm not caught up in whims. I'm not caught up in attraction and aversion. I'm not caught up in demands. I'm not expecting anything from others nor from myself or whatever. I'm just being here. And in being here, I'm aware as a human being, I'm conscious as a human being, and if we are experiencing those moments and those times, it would be very worthwhile and very important that to see where is the freedom in this? Can I find through this quiet presence, without any tendency operating, in any way in the moment, could, I, could this be a real doorway to a real knowing of what freedom is all about? That still makes allowances for the tendencies and the, the, the patterns. So rather than just trying to keep on meditating or trying to be a bit more concentrated or a bit more still, when at times we feel a certain presence and not demanding anything anywhere and we're not bored, we're not dull, we're not lethargic, we are awake. Perhaps there we can say, where is the freedom here? Where is God in this experience? Where is a profound sense of knowing something deep in this moment? Is it accessible? And actually to ask, to look, to take an interest in. At other times, in the, what's going on with us, with the experience that's going on, 
we may feel very much under the influence of an unsatisfactory tendency. Sometimes it isn't enough just to say to ourselves, oh, everything is impermanent. It arises, it will come, and it will go. You hear this in this building with nauseating frequency. <laughs> and of course there's much factual aspect uh, about that as well. But how easily it can just be through some of your years of practice, just putting out, oh, everything is impermanent, and then you just throw it on top of the tendency. And the tendency goes quiet for a little while, and uh, gets forgotten, oh, it's impermanent, gets forgotten. And then it's just lurking, like a rattlesnake it is. And it will pop straight back into consciousness the moment one's half asleep. So sometimes with the tendencies which are uh, arising there to be, as the tradition says, being very clear about what it is, not to be shy of naming it, of identifying it, of being quite specific as to what it uh, actually is, and to really give attention to it and bring the fullness of awareness to it that one is keenly interested in its dissolution. That we're not going to sustain that particular tendency and to have enough trust and, and faith in the power of mind which is coming out of the present moment, to deal with something which essentially is much weaker, which is the past entering the present called karma. And therefore, to bring the awareness to try to catch it at the earliest possible point. Tendencies may be to having lots of views and opinions about something. Okay, one's really vigilant about the tendency. One's tendency may be towards aversion and just finding fault with others or oneself. One's really going to really stop and really cut that. While the tendency is towards uh, attraction and thinking whatever it might be, a material thing, it might be a relation, and we come into this situation and we want to develop the power of mind, which catches it in the earliest possible moment. Do I have to follow this through? Do I have to be swept along with, with this? And that power of mind, just to stop and to look at and to see the emptiness of it, as the Buddhas, Buddhists would say, and to take the potency out of it, Perhaps that can generate a space inside of us which will bring another order of happiness to our life. In a way which blindly following up on tendencies can never do for us. Never. It's, it's a high-risk strategy just following these things up and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. So therefore, just a conclusion here with you this evening. Two features being emphasized here. One is periods of time when you feel comfortable, steady, calm, 
and present to life, not wanting anything. To acknowledge and recognize that, but to take a genuine interest in that in such a way to find what's the very heart of that. Language of freedom, yeah. language of being in touch with the nature of things. And secondly, when there is tendencies there, and revealing and showing themselves, to really take an interest in that tendency. And for some people, as some people acknowledge, sometimes it's almost the first time in one's life when it's said, I, I really know what it means to be on a retreat, really look at things, and really look at these unsatisfactory patterns, and to really work on them in a very interested and a very committed way. And I think if we bring that kind of enthusiasm and determination, then the mind will be our friend. The mind will be our support. As the Buddha beautifully pointed out, he says, one who has really explored the depth of these practices and explored those the areas which I spoke to you about this evening, he says, one has such a relationship to one's mind that one can think what one wants to think and not think what one does not want to think. That is a clarity which is offered out of the Dharma. Beautiful. Beautiful. One can think what one wants to think and it's wise and skillful and clear. And if one doesn't want to think, one doesn't think because one has got the clarity not to think about things which one knows in the deep intuitions are simply not worth thinking about. Dharma teachings are pointing to that kind of freedom of being. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings see into things. May all beings live a free and contented life. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes, shall we? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.